Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani welcoming you to another session of self-coaching where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, welcome to another week, and today we're going to discuss whether or not true happiness is an illusion. Does it exist? Can it exist? Or are we just kind of kidding ourselves? No one's truly happy in life. doesn't exist. It's just a myth. Well, what say you? Well, what I say is it damn well isn't an illusion. So let's talk about the components of finding true happiness. Well, I'm going to list four that I feel give us the best shot of understanding the path toward true happiness. And that's humility, empathy, and we'll put compassion in with empathy, serenity, and joy. So that's what we're going to be getting into today. And now I need to clarify that last week, discussing the bad wolf, the good wolf, bad wolf scenario, I did say that this week I would be talking about the good wolf. Well, I'm not going to be talking exactly about the good wolf, but I'm talking about good wolf stuff. But I wanted to talk about the concept of true happiness. Is it an illusion? Is it real? Can we really achieve true happiness in our lives? That that kind of was the motive for today. And that's where I'd like to kind of keep us going. So if you are a devotee of good wolf, bad wolf stories, I do apologize. But like I said, these what we're going to be talking about today is good wolf stuff. So if you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, you can go back and listen to last week's tale of the good wolf, bad wolf, and you'll see why today's quest for true happiness fits in with good wolf stuff. When I say true happiness, it's a relative term. We all have challenges. You know a little bit if you've been listening to my podcast about my wave theory. There are waves in everyone's lives. Challenges ups and downs, difficulties, and these are the waves. In between the waves are the trough states. Those are the states where we are capable of serenity, of happiness. These are the states where we have an opportunity to be without conflict, but unfortunately, because of our habits of insecurity, which we'll get into in a little bit, we create waves in our mind. So even though we're in a trough state and a state of potential serenity, and there's nothing really impinging on us, and there aren't any real problems facing us in the moment, we generate problems. We worry. We think about what might be coming down the pike. And we get a wave, a mental wave, an abstract wave, and we've just ruined our serenity. And taking advantage of those trough states now, that's where true happiness resides. And that's why I say it's relative. You can't be happy all the time. 
it's just not the way the world is. It's not the way life is. It's not the way our biology is scripted. But you can be happy most of the trough times. And that's what we're after. When you're stressed and when you're fighting different things that are just attacking you from the inside and out, these are real challenges in life. Well, you're involved in a wave and you can't help but just get to the other side. But when you're in that trough state, that's where you have the opportunity to find true happiness. Now, what is true happiness? Well, I think we could only define it in a way that embraces four concepts. And they are humility, empathy slash compassion, serenity, and joy. And I'll try to describe these in a way that we can start to understand how we can find that path toward our own true happiness. So let's start out with humility. What's humility? Well, it's understanding your place in the grand scheme of things. It has to do with perspective, an accurate perspective, as opposed to an inflated perspective. You know, it's not taking our desires, our successes, or even our failures too seriously. Again, perspective. The Greek philosopher Socrates held that wisdom, above all, is knowing what you don't know. And the humble person accepts that. The inflated person knows it all. Last week I talked about Sam, a truck driver I once worked with during my youth, who knew it all. Sam lacked humility. Hey, Sam, your truck's leaking oil. I know it. <laughs> no matter what you told Sam, he, he knew it. And this is a person lacking humility. I would say it's a person that I would say has a heliocentric view where they are the sun and everyone and everything evolves around them. They've lost perspective. And, you know, I, I see this as kind of a psychological immaturity because children are like this, right? And as we grow and mature, we are challenged to alter our perception of self, and some cling to that, let's call it, uh, adolescent view of themselves, that they are so important that they have to know it all. They can't be criticized. They have to be perfect, or they sulk over their imperfections. Oh, my hair is right in my clothes. Are... We lose perspective. Everything becomes the end of the world, where sometimes everyone has to applaud you where you have to say yes to everyone because you want them to like you, to admire you, and so on. So with a heliocentric, immature personality, then, of course, you're stuck in an illusion, an illusion that you matter too much. And sometimes this becomes more narcissistic. We believe we matter more than others. We feel that others see us as mattering more <laughs> in this megalomania kind of sociopathic narcissistic way we we get high on who we think we are and this is immaturity this is psychological immaturity now sometimes and more often than not this is driven by insecurity and all of that 
bravado and that I know it kind of stuff is really compensatory, kind of a compensation for what, you may ask? Well, it's a compensation for our insecurities, perhaps our low self-esteem, self-worth. So we start to develop a compensatory reaction. We puff ourselves up. And like a balloon that expands and expands, what's inside that balloon is just a lot of hot air, right? So being humble is perspective. Seeing yourself in a real way. Accepting that you have blind spots. That you're not perfect. But you can look for ways to improve. And when you're humble, you're, you're more than willing to, to improve to receive feedback from others, to adjust, and to evolve when you're stuck in that heliocentric, narcissistic, immature personality, then you don't want criticism. You just want people to love you, to admire you, to think you're wonderful. And the problem with grandiosity, of course, is that eventually, it's like a cancer. It erodes your true personality and your true propensity for happiness. Because a world where you are needing to be above everyone else is, an, is a world of isolation. It's a me world. And in that world, of course, it's devoid of true meaning. And when there is a vacuum when it comes to true meaning. There can't be any true happiness. So it is to your benefit to cultivate humility. And the best way to do that, of course, is perspective. See yourself more objectively. Make that attempt. If your insecurity is driving, of course, then it's a little bit more difficult. But these are all goals of therapy. Clients come in, and if there is a, an opaqueness to their self-view, then this becomes part of the therapy to more or less reflect back the true self, to reflect back the perspective that's necessary to go forward. You know, the, the word modesty, the Latin derivative or the Latin root has to do with to measure accurately. And this is your job, to become a more humble person, a more modest person, you must learn to measure yourself accurately. Don't let insecurity try to inflate the numbers and see you as better than or worse than. It is immodest to put yourself down or to inflate yourself. So let's begin by measuring ourselves more accurately, day by day. Take a look at your behaviors. Take a look at your attitude. Take a look at your perspective. Do you feel better than others? Do you think you're superior? Do you look down? Are you prejudiced? Do you hold stereotypical views of others? Well, you need to challenge the narrow-minded, adolescent, immature views that perhaps still kind of percolate up every once in a while. But you, like everyone else on this planet, possess 46 chromosomes unique to every individual. They're all part of what make us human. 
When you think your 46 chromosomes are superior to someone else's 46 chromosomes, well, that's hubris. You're missing the point. You're missing the perspective. So come on. Let's, let's develop a more accurate, honest, and modest view of who you are. So let's move on to a second most important element in finding true happiness, and that's empathy. And I'm going to lump in with empathy, compassion. Now, let me give you three different types of empathy. First, I'll call affective empathy, which, which is the ability to, to both understand another person's emotions, to kind of experience another person's emotions and allow you to respond to that person appropriately. That's very important socially, very important to a psychologist. When you understand someone else's emotions, you could put yourself, you know, it's called, you know, step in my shoes. Is that the expression? <laughs> I guess it is. So when you step in the shoes of someone else's emotions, it helps you connect with them and understand and 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 work with them, communicate with them more effectively. So that's affective empathy. Then there's somatic empathy, which involves having a physical reaction in response to what someone else is experiencing. And sometimes, you know, you feel pain when you see someone you loved in love in pain. You, say, you you feel it in your gut, you feel a headache, you feel the nausea because you're empathizing with that person's struggle, that person's physical struggle. So that would be somatic empathy. And then there's cognitive empathy, which involves being able to understand another person's thoughts, their mental state, what they're thinking, how they're responding to a situation. You see, again, the more we empathize, the more we share with others. And again, a lot of the, the what I'm getting at today is this, this kind of connecting and sharing and realizing your perspective and place with people. Humility, empathy. But what about compassion? Isn't that the same thing? But what does compassion mean? Well, essentially, compassion means to suffer together. And it's usually defined as the feeling that comes up when we're confronted with someone else's suffering and we feel this, this motivation to want to do something to help, to help relieve their suffering. That's being compassionate. Now, it's not the same as empathy or the same as altruism, but they are related. Empathy refers more to the ability to take on the perspective of another person and feel the emotions of that person. We're Compassion is when those feelings and thoughts include a desire to help. So empathy, we more or less experience the other person, whereas compassion, we want to do something. We want to take some action. Altruism, yeah, we lump that in with empathy and compassion. Altruism, altruism is a kind of selfless behavior often prompted by feelings of compassion. So we, we could say that empathy, compassion, and altruism are all interrelated. And these are the components of both great communication, understanding, but even more importantly, perspective. Again, not seeing yourself in isolation, 
as the heliocentric center devoid of these contacts, isolated from these contacts, but connected. The more you connect, the more you are able to empathize and com being compassionate with those in your life, the more meaning that you feel. And we're getting closer now towards the true meaning of happiness because empathy and compassion are what starts to release a better sense of self, of meaning. You know, meaning, you can, you can chase rainbows all your life, or carrots, as they say, and you can chase that carrot and chase that carrot, but the carrot doesn't give you meaning. You can't empathize with the glittering silver thing in front of you. Sure, it can make you happy for the moment, but that's transient. That's not the same thing. So how about you? Do you want to be more popular? Do you want to be more effective? Do you want to just have a better social life? Well, be more empathetic. The more you understand what people are thinking and feeling well, you're going to be able to respond more effectively in those situations. The reason it makes you more popular is because people like to be understood. They like to know that they are connected with and not talked at. So think about it socialization, the more you empathize, the more compassionate you are, the more success you're going to have because people are, good, are going to genuinely feel your connection to them, your willingness to be part of their lives. And it's the depth of feelings that come across, you know, not the superficial uh, where you're just nodding your head or pretending to be involved in someone's life. Get more involved. Really experience some empathy and compassion, and your relationships will grow exponentially. So let's move on to another component of finding true happiness, and that's serenity. Now, you're not going to be a very serene person if you're caught up in the waves and the challenges of life, and you're never experiencing the, the tranquility and serenity that's capable in the trough state in between those challenges, in between the waves that hit us all the time. In that trough state is your, is your best shot possibility for serenity. You know, in AA, the 12-step program, they follow a prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And this is a beautiful prayer. But in my many years of doing therapy, the real problem, it comes down to understanding, well, how to change those things, those things that trip up our life. It is important for the clarity that we know the difference between the things we can and can't change. But we also have to know how we change. And this is, becomes increasingly more difficult the more reflexive and the more unconscious the things that trip us up are. And I would like to highlight that serenity is inversely proportional to our habit of insecurity. The more insecure you are, the less serenity you have. The more serenity, the less insecurity. So what you need to do is you have to decrease the amount of insecurity-driven thinking, the doubts the fears, the negativity. These are habits. But it is insecurity that determines the extent of our unhappiness. 
and I can't say it enough times, insecurity is a habit. Habits can be broken. All habits can be broken. So we have to stop feeding insecurity. How do we do that? Well, you you need to actively become more involved in paying attention to the doubts, the fears, the negativity. And you need to realize that you indulge these feelings. It's like optimism, pessimism. If you're a negative person, a pessimistic person, ask yourself, why? Why do I need to be so pessimistic? Well, maybe it's just a habit. You do have a choice, you know. Some people are afraid to be optimistic because they have low self-esteem. They just, the insecurity is driving it and saying, oh, you can't afford to be optimistic. What if it doesn't go right? And you start to worry and worry. So we, we tend to trip ourselves up. We sometimes fear letting go of our own insecurities. We fear taking the risk, put that in quotes, of being optimistic. But the beauty of optimism is that even though we can't know the future, we don't know whether the the future will be optimistic or pessimistic, but the beauty of optimism is that it frees you up in the moment. Optimists just live different lives than pessimists. You can imagine, right? True serenity resides in the present. True serenity resides in the present. Once you allow insecurity to start abstracting your life into the future or into the past, where you start to worry about things that might happen and what if I don't get a job and if I can't get a house and people don't think I'm wonderful. Or maybe it has to do with past regrets. Why did I say that? Oh, my goodness. You see, what you're doing is you're no longer present. You're living in this fictitious future or ruminating about a regretful past event. But where are you? Well, you're sitting in the present, but where's your mind? It's no longer there. And when you're no longer present, well, then you can't really connect with the serenity that's possible. Because true serenity is only possible in that present. And that's your opportunity. When there aren't waves crashing in around you and on you, when you're in a trough state, that's where true serenity can be experienced. So don't contaminate it. Don't choose or indulge your habit of insecurity that's trying to drag you into future what ifing or past re- regrets. And lastly, let's talk about a very elusive term, and that's joy. The dictionary defines joy as an emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. How would you define joy? We use that word. Felt a lot of joy. What does it mean? How would you define it? Well, the truth is, I'm not exactly sure. So I'm not going to be able to give you a definitive answer. I'm going to explore it a bit with you. But as I see it, joy is definitely and closely related to true happiness. So we need to include joy into our equation for finding true happiness. But I can't give you that answer. I'd like to. I suspect joy has more to do with chemical underpinnings 
and psychological. And of course, there's always the interplay of the psychological with the physiological. But for now, let's just talk about the chemical aspect of joy, or at least my take on it. And that would be understanding the hormone oxytocin. From recent studies, oxy oxytocin has a role in, in various behaviors, but all of these kind of, let's call them, quote, joyful behaviors, including orgasm, social recognition, bonding, maternal behavior. It's sometimes, if you look it up, you'll see it's sometimes called the love hormone. And sometimes just a simple act of touch can increase the oxytocin levels in our brain. Giving someone a massage, cuddling, making love, giving someone a hug, it releases this hormone, oxytocin, and it gives us a greater sense of well-being. Now, could that chemical response be what we're calling joy? No. It is the tranquil feeling we get whenever we're around people that we really care about. And the more we engage in these feelings, the more we seek them. It's kind of addic addictive, I guess. And that wouldn't be a misnomer because oxytocin is closely related to other hormones, serotonin and dopamine. These are the feel-good or happy hormones. And under the right conditions, oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, well, maybe that's what the feeling of joy is about, that, that, that feeling that we can't really <laughs> express in words. When you're attracted to someone, when you care about someone, that's a buzz you get. It's the joy. But for the most part, the one thing that oxytocin relies on is another person. So let's go full circle. True happiness. Well, I'm going to say, and of course, this is my opinion, I may be wrong, but I think true happiness involves socialization. True happiness involves connecting to others. So how important is another person? How important are others in our life? Well, it's critically important. And you know, I, I don't want to exclude pets, whether it be cats or dogs or other things that re also release oxytocin. Whenever we connect, Whenever we love, whenever we care, we're getting closer to that true happiness that we're capable of. And let us let us hold up for today and visit my website, selfcoaching.net. Only if you have a chance. I mean, I don't want you to feel it's an obligation or a duty, but if you have a chance. It's selfcoaching.net, where you could learn more about my self-coaching philosophy and take a look at my various books, and in particular, my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle, well, it's not an option. By definition, victims are powerless, and you're not powerless. So remember, everything's hard until you make it simple. So join me every week 
How about we make it simple together? Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight.